uh, this morning. I want to review some church history with you. Okay, so the way this works is I say history and you cheer. Okay. Okay. Let me... I'm going to review a little church history with you. Let's see. Awesome. Awesome. Well, not, not really church history, but our church history, like Harvest Church History right here in Barrie. And, and this is going to help set up our message. This is like a one-off message. We're in this Daniel series, but this is a one-off for this week, and we'll get back to Daniel uh, next week. But um, our Harvest History here in Barrie started in January 2001, where Hope Community Church had been a church for uh, seven years here. It was just a, a little church meeting up at the Sunnydale Community Center and like maybe about like 30 people kind of left in it after all those years. And in January 2001, they had a, a business meeting, uh, a members meeting uh, with all 11 members. And uh, they voted nine to two uh, to become Harvest Bible Chapel in January 2001. And then they went into over the next eight months, uh, kind of like a soft launch phase, uh, pre-launch services were held at the Sunnydale Community Center and uh, at that time, uh, I had already been identified as the church planner. We were living outside of Barrie, and uh, we went over to Chicago with our family to do some training during that eight-month period of time. And then in September of 2001, September 16th, it was an official launch, relaunch of the church as Harvest Bible Chapel at Emma King Elementary School up in the northwest corner of the city. And we stayed at Emma King for the next uh, four years. It wasn't quite two years later, but a year and a half later in February 2003, we'd outgrown the facility and went to two services. And then two years later, we'd outgrown it again and went to three services, on, uh, one on a Saturday evening. And then in September 2005, uh, Timothy Christian School opened up their new facility on Esser Road. And uh, we moved in there uh, to help them with their mortgage payments and to help us with a location. So that worked out super well for us. Uh, for the next 12 years, we were with them. And then uh, December 2015, an exciting thing happened where we uh, purchased the Army-Navy Air Force uh, facility at 7 George Street. You're in that building right now. And in the fall of 2016, having made that purchase, uh, we went into a capital campaign to pay for the renovations of uh, this facility. It was called the Made for This Campaign uh, and uh, raised what we needed to reconstruct. And this building went through extensive renovation and reconstruction. Uh, two years ago this month, November 2016, we had our commitment weekend and we had been asking for $1.8 million to do a bare bones renovation of this facility. And at the end of the day, when we counted all the pledges, $3.2 million was pledged on that particular weekend. Again, that was in November 2016. In December 2016 through to August 2017, in December 2016, we took possession of the building itself. And then construction happened from then until August. And then a very um, celebratory, it was an amazing weekend, uh, August 19th, 20th, 2017, uh, so about 14, 15 months ago, we had our first weekend services here at 7 George Street, and that was after 16 years, if you're doing the math, 16 years of setting up and tearing down every weekend, and we were super grateful to get to that place. 
And that brings us to today, which is November the 18th, 2018. And this is the second anniversary of our three-year Made for This campaign. And that's why we're pausing today to kind of revision this campaign that we've been in and what God has done to celebrate that, and then to look ahead to this final year of the campaign and what uh, God might have for us in the next 12 to 13 months. And so turn your attention to the screen, and uh, just watch this short video, and we'll get back into this. Well, God has done an amazing thing. We're grateful for all that he has done. The last little line on this like history narrative that we're telling here would be December 2019, which is uh, 13, again, 13, year, uh, 13 months from now. And that the construction loan that this campaign is paying for, that that would be paid off uh, by the end of next year. And you can see those two little initials at the end of that, DV. Anybody know what, the, what that is? The Lord willing, that's right, that's from the Latin, Deo Volonte, that, we, that the Lord willing, we'd be able to pay off this construction loan as we intended and then kind of cap off this kind of section of our history. And throughout this, and you saw it at the end of the video there, Psalm 66, verse 5, just a phrase from that has been so important to us, and it really is, come and see what God has done. What God has done, Amen. It's not what we've done. We're not trying to boost up any person here. This is about what God has done in our midst and to celebrate him in every way. And this is so important for us to realize that the project to purchase and and renovate this facility was seen not as the mission itself. As great as it is, and as we look at this part of our history, we would never want to look back on this and say the greatest thing we ever did as a church was build a building. I mean, that would be so disappointing. If that were the thing that we were looking to, 
This is not the mission, but it's the tool that God has put in our hands to further accomplish the mission. In fact, the Jesus-given commission to us is what is preeminent in our minds and the thing that we should be celebrating more than anything else. Jesus told us in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go into all the world, and here's the command, make disciples. And that plays out in a couple of very critical ways. First of all, go and find people who are not yet disciples of Jesus Christ and help them become one. In other words, make new disciples. And then secondly, once they've become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the second part of the make disciples thing is for each of us to grow in our discipleship. In other words, we want to be making better, more mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And both of those are wrapped up in the commission that Jesus gave to us. And the Made for This series that I uh, preached through the fall of 2016 leading up to that pledge weekend really drove us to that latter desire to make sure that we were maturing in our discipleship and being disciples of Jesus Christ for you and me to increasingly look like Jesus. And really what we had tried to accomplish was defining what a Christian actually is using these five G's that we're going to talk about this morning, rather than what a Christian does. So what a Christian is, is what we're going to look at. What a Christian does, we talk about that all the time in terms of the three W's. What a Christian does is a Christian worships, a Christian walks, and a Christian works for Christ. Want to be in worship, we we want to be uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be walking with Him in obedience with other believers, part of uh, the church of Jesus Christ, we want to do all of that, but that's the doing part. What's the being part of being a Christian? And again, the point of this is that the most important aspect of the history of Harvest Bible Chapel from 2015 to 2019, again, is not the building. It's not the project, it's not the campaign, but it's what is God doing in us and what is God doing through us as a result of it. And us really asking a question, am I a better, stronger, more mature, more faith-filled, genuine Christian than I was before this campaign started? And you can know that by looking at these five G's and deciding if you've grown at all in any of these characteristics that we're going to look at. Now, this, this, what we're going to look at today is a five-message series that I preached two years ago, boiled into one message that I could have titled The Miracle at 7 George Street, as I try to boil five messages into one on a single Sunday morning. And if you want to watch the whole series, maybe as a refresher, maybe you sat through it two years ago and you're going like, I need to go back to that again and, and hear all this. Or maybe you weren't here two years ago and you want to pick that up and you can go, there's a couple spots on our website, two websites that you can go to, harvestberry.ca slash teaching. You can find it, search um, made for this, or you can go to the actual made for this campaign website, madeforthis.church, and you can access the series there as well. Now, one thing we did not do, one of the priorities that we had when we went into the campaign two years ago was that we were not going to devote much time at all in our Sunday worship services for the campaign. We had open houses outside of the worship services on Thursday nights and Tuesday, Wednesday nights, and and we had all kinds of special meetings, and we set up the website, and we, we sent material out to you, but we had you consider the campaign quite apart from the Sunday morning services because we still wanted Sunday mornings to be about 
worship in the Word. We wanted to get together and, and praise the Lord, and we wanted to get the Word of God open and learn it. We wanted to find out what it meant to be better, stronger, more mature Christians. And so we didn't talk a lot about the money parts of all of that during that campaign. This morning, because we're boiling it all into one message, and we're not doing any open houses or special meetings, you're going to just give me the latitude here, please, and just forgive me in advance. We're going to talk a little bit about campaign stuff in the midst of this message today, so that's different than what happened last time. This whole series was drawn from 2 Corinthians, where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, describes the kind of Christian that God says we should be. And here's the five G's right now. A Christian is, a 5G Christian is gracious, generous, growing, grateful, and glorifying. We're going to look at each one of these in turn. And here's the added bonus to this. Not only does this describe me as an individual believer, if I'm a 5G Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, but this actually becomes, and look at these five words and think about it, this actually becomes the culture of our church as we, as we live and grow together in all of these things. This is what harvest is. And so we, we want to think about that in terms of our church. Are we a gracious church? People know us that way. Are we a generous church? Are we, the, the things that have been entrusted to us, are we so um, eager to give those away, to reinvest, to bless others? Are we a growing church? Are we further along in our maturity as a church than we were 17 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or two years ago? Are we a, a grateful church? Is there a sense of gratitude here for what Christ has done for us? And are we a glorifying church in the sense that when people look here, what they think about is what Jesus is doing, what God's Holy Spirit is doing in our midst, not what any of us are accomplishing because it's not about us at all. And so is this the culture of our church? We want to be thinking about that. The foundational verse for all of this was Ephesians 2, uh, 10. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we were made for this. We were made to be 5G Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our church was made for this, made to be this kind of church with this culture of the five Gs permeating who we are before we ever start to do anything. And so here we go, these five Gs. Let's get to the first one. You ready for these? You ready for these? All right, here we go. We are made to be gracious. God's people are grace-receiving people. That's how we get saved. God pours his grace out in our lives. We're grace-receiving, grace-displaying. Having received the grace of God now, I display the grace of God, and then we are grace-dispensing. Having received it and, disp and displaying it, now I actually want to pour that grace out into the lives of other people. That's what we're supposed to be. And God gave us his grace, which is defined as undeserved. Nobody here merits the gift of God's grace. You don't deserve it. And it's unearned. You can't work for it. There's no amount of religious observance or giving or whatever you want to say. There's nothing that you could give to God that would be enough to receive the gift that he wants to give to you. It is unearned and undeserved favor from God. And we need to be grace dispensing. So we're giving the same thing to other people. Think about how this is such a game changer then. I'm going to give things to people even though they could never pay me back. And even if they don't deserve it, 
I'm going to give and pour myself out for them. When you think about that one alone being the, the character of our lives or the character of our church, that one alone is a game changer. That we would be a grace dispensing church. The uh, passage that we saw in 2 Corinthians that uh, tied in this was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Actually, the whole passage there, as you might understand, because I'm just kind of synthesizing a five-part series, we're not going to go deep into any one of the passages, but if you want to do that on your own, you can. I'm just going to highlight a key verse or two out of each of these as we move through it. But, so God and Paul are kind of talking through something very difficult that Paul was going through. He's working through something very hard in his life. How many of you would just say right now, I'm going through something hard in my life? You'd just say that right now. How many of you would say, I have been through something hard in my life? And the rest of you, you could just raise your hand because you will go through it. It's coming for you. Uh, That's just the nature of life on earth. Life is hard. Amen? Life is is hard. And so Paul's here. He's, He's going through a hard thing in his life, and he's having the conversation with God about it. And God says to him, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, the the thing is, Paul had this affliction going on in his life. We're not exactly sure what it was, but three times, I mean, this was so debilitating to him that three times he went to the Lord and he pleaded with God. See, I just know that whenever we start going through tough times, the very first thing we pray to God is get me out of this. Later on, we might pray, God, help me through it. That's not, it's never the first prayer. The first prayer, like Paul, that first, second, third prayer, like Paul, get me out of it, get me out of it, get me out of it. I want this gone. God's answer is my grace is sufficient for you. That's enough. It's enough, it's enough that I just am going to give you the gift of my presence and of power and of strength to get through it. He said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I actually need you weak, Paul. I need you weak so that people aren't thinking you're doing it in your own strength so that they'll see me working through you. So Paul says... Therefore, now he's talking to his readers, therefore, this is his testimony, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I see that this is the secret to it. This is you and me saying, I'm a mess. But God is awesome toward me. This is me saying, I'm a broken person. But God has strengthened me every step of the way. This is me saying I've blown it too many times to count. I've, I, I've sinned so many sins. And God keeps receiving me. And God keeps welcoming me. And God keeps forgiving me. And God has saved me. I couldn't do it for myself. That's what it means to, to receive the grace of God. And then having received it, you and I must, in, in this Ephesians 4.29, give grace. Just those two little, just give grace. And in the context of Ephesians 4, what's, what's going on there, Paul's just really helping the Ephesian believers to think about what it means to be in relationship with one, with one another in the church and how that's all supposed to play out. 
Give grace to others. He's, he's talking in that passage about how we're supposed to love each other. He's talking in that passage that we're supposed to love each other, in fact, to tell the truth to one another. It's not loving to withhold the truth from someone. He says we're supposed to be encouraging with our words, and so often we, we're, so, we're so quick to hurt one another with our words. He says, no, no, you're supposed to be encouraging one another. That's giving grace to people. We're supposed to hold back our anger. We're supposed to be forgiving one, and this is right out of the verse. We're supposed to be forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. That is, listen, that has to be the personality of this church. That has to be our character where grace is just flowing down to us and out from us to others. And the way we really get there is, is first of all, for every single one of us to acknowledge that reality that we're all broken. Every single person in the room is broken. You see, broken people don't want to come to a church where there are a bunch of people here pretending they're not broken. So let's just get it on the table. Everyone here is broken in one way or another. Every single one of us is desperately in need of the grace of God to come into our lives because we don't deserve it and we can't earn it. And therefore, because the person to my right and my left, in front of me and behind me, because they're all so broken, and I am too, we're just going to let the grace flow. We're just going to let the grace flow. That in itself just become so attractive to people who are outside of this church. Come and join a bunch of people who are just leaning hard on the grace of God. We're made to be gracious. All right, secondly, we're made to be generous. Now, because this is like a campaign reboot, because a campaign speaks to money, going to spend a little extra time on this. And um, I know that makes everyone feel super uncomfortable whenever we start talking about money, and I I get it. Uh, But we're going to talk about uh, being made to be generous as part of a 5G Christian's makeup of their character. And uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, two chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that just spell out for us some of the most practical teaching on money and giving in the Bible. And this is a critical point of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you haven't locked down the money thing, you haven't locked down following Jesus. He said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, in Matthew 6, 21, he said, where your treasure is, there your, what did he say? Your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. But if you're all, if you're all um, like, you know what? All I can think about is, is I, I really like the car I drive. I really like the house I live in. I really like the neighborhood we're in. Can't stop thinking about the vacation we're going to take. I'm always thinking about my investment portfolio. I'm really particular about the kind of clothes that I wear. If you're all about the money stuff, if that's your treasure, then that's where your heart is. Don't pretend that you love or follow Jesus if that's you. Okay, where your treasure is, whatever that treasure is, that's what you worship, that's your God, that's what you treasure. 
I feel like I took my intensity pills today. Do you feel that? I feel like I, I, feel like I took those. Now listen, if you love money, if you love money, you are incapable of loving God. And if you love God first, he's my treasure, then I don't care if you have money. It's not an issue whether you have it or don't have it. If you love God first, everything will be in perspective. And even if you have money, it's only going to serve you. You're not going to serve it. It's not going to be your God. You're just going to have it and you're going to use it. And it's not going to be that important to you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And many of you get this already, and you've been so generous, and you demonstrate that. You make sacrifices for this mission in the same way, and this is what the passage is about, that the Macedonians made sacrifice uh, for the sake of the mission. And Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying, okay, you guys in Corinth, you need to think about the Macedonians and how they're playing this out, because they really get it, and I want you to get it the way they're getting it, and it's written in Second Corinthians that it's in the Word of God so that we would get it too. We would understand all of this. And so Paul tells his Corinthian friends, you want to imitate their generosity. And he gives them in, in this a passage, in these two chapters, seven characteristics of generous giving. I'm going to give these to you. Seven characteristics of generous giving. Now, in the original message, this was seven points under a single message. Now it's seven application points under a point in a five-point message. Are you with me? Is everybody still with me? Okay, seven really quickly. I'm going to give you these. And then if you want to unpack this even more and see all of the passages in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that this is drawn from, you can go back to the single message and get it. Seven characteristics of generous giving. The first one is proportionate. I give based on my income. I give based on my income. This, this is why we're not, we, we don't talk about tithing here. We don't talk about tithing. It's not taught in the New Testament. It, it's, it's not a thing. It's part of the Old Testament law. It was fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he fulfilled this part of it. We're released from all the legalistic uh, parts of the Old Testament law, just free of all of that. We're living under grace. We're not big on the tithing thing, but here's what we are big on. We're big on generosity. We're big on, on, on proportionate giving. What that means is we have a single mom in, in the church, and, and she's living off of uh, uh, an allowance of some kind, and she doesn't have a lot of money. She's got a couple kids she's trying to care for. If she was to carve out, just take the tithe, 10%, and, and give that, well, then, listen, she might not be feeding her kids the way she ought to feed her kids. So it may not be a good thing to tell a single mom, you have to give 10% of that income. That may not be a good thing. I don't think that's a biblical thing. Now, here's the thing. Now, there might be some people here, and there are some people here, you're making six figures, maybe even middle, mid six figures, maybe higher. Maybe you have lots and lots of money. Maybe you're at a stage of life where you don't have as much out as you have in, and you got a lot of extra in coming in, and, and, and you have extra money set aside. And to give 10%, I would say just flat out would be insulting to God because it would be easy. So the point of this is you, you got to get before the Lord and you need to look at your budget and you need to say, what is the right proportion of what I'm earning, what we're earning as a family? What's the right proportion to be giving that would really fuel the mission? That's a little harder than just writing a 10% check. To Sharon, I could write a 10% check and that wouldn't, even, that wouldn't even make a dent, wouldn't even be an issue. Now, how is that godly? I'm just, all I'm doing is just checking a box. That's not what God wants for us. So that's the first characteristic of generous giving. It's, it's proportionate to income. I'm not going to spend as much 
a time on each of these as I did on that one. The second one is it would be sacrificial. I, I have to give it a cost. If, again, if it's easy to give, the example here from the Macedonians is they gave out of their poverty. Is what I'm giving sacrificial? Is what I'm giving willing? I give because I want to. Back when I preached this series two years ago, I just said this. Like, if you don't want to give, don't give. Our church does not need your money. Please understand that. I'm not preaching this because we need your money. We do not need your money. God will supply everything that we need for this ministry. Doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. So if you don't want to give, if it's not in your heart to give, please don't give. The Macedonians believer gave, believers gave willingly. And they also gave sincerely. And so generous giving is sincere. Again, it flows out of my heart. I give as a true believer. Generous giving is loving. I give with affection for God and, and affection for others. It's, it's, it's an act of worship when I bring our giving. It doesn't matter if you put it in the bag, which so few of us do that anymore, put it in the bag, or if you do it as uh, you know, a banking transfer every week, or if you have it set up automatically like Cheryl and I do, where you know, the paycheck goes in on Friday and the giving comes out on Friday right after it. That's an act of worship for Cheryl and I. And the reason why we do it is because we, first of all, we love God. We're doing it as, as, as a love offering to him for what he's done for us. And then secondly, I do it because I love people. Cheryl and I give because we love people, because we know that if we give to this ministry and to this mission, that there are people who don't know Jesus who are going to know about him. We give because we love God. We give because we love people. Sixth, generous giving is cheerful. I give with joy. I mean, if you're giving grudgingly, if, if it brings you no satisfaction and no happiness to give, don't give. Give joyfully. And then give gratefully. I give with a thankful heart to God for all that he has done for me. Now, obviously, that kind of giving can be very stretching. And over the past two years, what's happened now is not only do we have the ongoing needs of the ministry itself, which we always had, Now we have the extra of a mortgage payment, the extra of carrying a building, and the extra of paying off this temporary construction loan. So we've piled a lot on top of that. So we need people to be faithful, as you've always been. You've got to continue to be faithful to your regular giving. We've got to pay the mortgage. We've got to pay the utilities. We've got to pay the salaries. We've got to pay the ministry allocations. We've got to, we have responsibilities to our global partners and our partnerships here in the city. Got to do all of that. That's your regular giving. And on top of that, we have this campaign. It's stretching. I know it's been stretching for a lot of you. Cheryl and I committed an amount uh, to this that uh, together with um, certain life situations that came at us at the same time over the past two years has meant uh, cutting our budget. It's meant sacrifices, things we're not doing that we would have liked to have done. We're not special in that. I'm not boasting in any way. I know many of you have faced the same things. So let me talk to various groups of people within our church. And I think that as I say all of this, each of you can fall into one of these categories with regard to your giving specifically to the campaign. So let's look at this. It's going to be up on the screen. Everybody fits into one of these groupings with regard to made for this. 
One, I have completed or exceeded my financial commitment. Uh, some of you are in that category. You made a commitment two years ago. It's already fulfilled, already done. I'm so grateful for your dedication uh, to the project. Your giving is kingdom impacting in this city and in this church. And the, the only thing I would say to you is, is, and I say this so carefully, and I don't want this to, to be coercive in any way, but would you consider adding more over the next year? Is it possible for you to do that and to say, I want us to kind of move to that debt-free status faster. I want us to accomplish even more for the Lord. And if God would direct you to add to your commitment, that certainly would be appreciated and welcomed. Secondly, maybe some of you are, uh, would say this, I am on track with my commitment. And again, thank you for being diligent over these past 24 months since the campaign began. Uh, please continue to stay focused and resolute on that as we press toward the goal of retiring the construction loan. That's going to, again, position our church for greater effectiveness down the road as we pursue the mission that Jesus has laid out for us. Third, maybe you would say, I'm trailing on my commitment. Maybe that's you. And I would ask you to seek out creative ways to catch up, to think about God's provision of resources in your life, and then to be faithful uh, using that and using that toward your commitment over the months ahead. Cheryl and I had to be creative in a number of different ways. And uh, some of the things that Cheryl and I did, we, uh, we sold things. Cheryl, Cheryl loves to sell things. She's always selling things. I have a bad memory about things I've owned in the past, which is pretty good because I think she sold some things I wouldn't have sold. <laughs> but I don't even remember. So it doesn't even really rem- you know, matter very much at all. Uh, so we sold things, we got rid of stuff, we, we cut our budget, we trimmed our budget considerably, we renegotiated our mortgage, we went down to one car, I've not contributed to our RSPs for the last two years. Again, nothing special in that and not boasting in any of that, I'm just giving you some ideas about the things that we've had to do over the last two years and will do for another year in order to complete our uh, commitment to the campaign. And if you need to talk, if you're trailing on your commitment, you need to talk to one of our leaders about where your commitment is at. We would be eager to talk to you about that. And we don't want anyone to feel burdened by uh, this in any way. We believe there is a blessing in fulfilling what we said we'd do. We know the Lord Jesus taught us to let our yes be yes. In other words, if you say you're going to do something, you need to do that. And our church acted upon your good pledges and commitment uh, to this. And, um, and so we want you to get to that place. But if you're having a challenge with any of that, please talk to us and let's walk through that together. Uh, maybe you would say, I've never started giving toward my commitment. And we get that unexpected circumstances can rise up and make it difficult to carry out your plan uh, to the campaign, your commitment. And it's reassuring to know that nothing catches God off guard, correct? He knows it all and he's sovereign over all of these things. Um, even more reassuring is this grace that comes toward us at times like this. Uh, but getting started and taking the first step of faith is a key in helping our church reach its uh, potential, but also helps you in your walk with Christ to increase your faith. It's not too late to make a difference and to start. Don't, don't miss out on being part of what God is doing here, what he wants to do in our church, be part of that, but also what he wants to do in your life as well. Some of you also might say this, I'm, I'm giving without making a commitment, and we're grateful for those who have stood with us in this way. Many have already realized you can contribute to the campaign uh, without uh, completing a commitment card. We're grateful for those who have done so, so far. In fact, we're counting on 
uh, people to kind of make up for those who won't fulfill uh, their commitments. And so um, if that's you, thank you for your demonstration of support. It's appreciated and needed. And then finally, maybe you would say this. I'm new to Harvest since the campaign began. And I've met many of you over the past two years. And certainly over the last year, we've had so many that have come to Harvest new since we moved into 7 George Street. And um, I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm for what God is doing here at Harvest. We're so glad to have you join us. We embarked on this uh, project to secure this building and have it as a place of worship precisely because we wanted to make room for you. And we're glad that you've come and become a part of all of this. And so I'm inviting you to make a commitment in this final year, that campaign to help us finish what we started and to look beyond uh, to even more. Now, having said all of that made to be a generous and specific comments about the campaign, you received this on your way in in an envelope. Could you just get that out for me right now and just get that into your hands while I say a few things about this? Then I'm going to wrap up this whole part talking about the campaign and the money that we could just move back to 5G Christian and talk about the last three characteristics of the 5G Christian. So this uh, commitment card is very similar to the one that we gave out two years ago. We had our uh, commitment Sunday and people brought those cards. You brought those cards in. This is kind of a reboot of that. Uh, This is a commitment card for the second anniversary. And you can see uh, your personal information over there on the left. And then your financial commitment, we really want everybody to hand this card in. So just everybody can tick one of these boxes and then, and then hand it in. So, you know, maybe you're saying, I'm intending to fulfill my original made for this pledge. And if that's you and you're on track and you're, you're heading in that direction before December 2019, then just tick that box and let us know. Then you might say, I'm, oh, I, you know what? We've prayed and we've considered it. We're going to add to our original pledge. And, and you would fill in. You can see the arrow there over to the right side of the card. Fill that in with the relevant information. I'm making a brand new pledge. If that's you, you're new to Harvest and you want to join in with us, again, fill in the information on the right. And then maybe you're just saying, you know, I'm having some struggles with it and I I just want to talk to somebody about it. Um, Then tick that last box. And then over the next little while, we're not going to have a particular commitment Sunday, but over the next couple of Sundays up to December 9th, December 16th, get these cards back into us just through when the offering bag goes by on Sundays. Or I'm not sure about putting it in the mail because, you know, the postal workers and Um, They might be on strike. We're just not sure, but you can stop it by the office for sure and just get this uh, back into our hands over the next uh, few weeks, and we're going to see where we're at with that entire campaign. Does that all sound good? Everybody ready for the last last three Gs here? We'll just move on. We'll move on to that. Just so looking forward to see what the Lord does through all of that. Okay, we're also made to be uh, growing. The Christian life is not at all intended to be a static thing where I just make a decision to become a Christian and then, you know, life pretty much stays the same. Um, I don't just get baptized and then that's, that's it. There's an expectation of spiritual growth. And 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says this, for while we are still in this tent, and when he's talking about a tent here, he's talking about this, the, the temporary, earthly, human, physical body that we live in. While we are still in this tent... We groan, we groan. Think about the kind of groaning we're talking about here is the the weight of sin on this world and how the the earth is so affected by sin. But if you want to get a picture of the groaning, just think about like the groaning that happens during the first snowfall of the year, that kind of groaning. You know what I'm talking about, right? We, We groan, we groan under the weight of it, 
like we've never seen snowfall before, okay? That's us. That's Canadians. And so we, we groan being burdened. Life is hard. We face temptation. We have trials in this life. Not that we would be unclothed. Okay? Not that we would stay in our immaturity, that we would stay unchanged by the gospel that saved us. Okay, we sang a lyric in a song earlier that, that we're to be dressed in his righteousness. That's what we're talking about. It's our maturity in Christ. He says that, that, that we would be, but that we would be further clothed, that we would be growing and maturing and becoming more like Jesus Christ so that what is mortal, my life right now, would be swallowed up by life an increasing sense of who I am in Jesus Christ, what my identity is, what my purpose in life is. And the power of the Holy Spirit in me, we are made for this. We are made to grow. And so what have you been doing in the last two years to be further clothed with the gospel? Let me ask you a few questions about this that really flow out of 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. Again, in the full message, you would get all this. Are you aiming for more than what this world offers? Are, are you embracing hardship as part of the process? Are you recognizing your need for the Spirit's ongoing work? And are you inviting Him to do that work? Are you showing increasing evidence of having a courageous faith? Are you compelled by the coming judgment? And are you motivated for it? And are you ready for Jesus to come through the clouds? You see, if you answer yes to those questions, that means you're growing. That means you're being further clothed with the gospel. But a no means there's no growth. That you're not ready. That you're not clothed with the gospel. And it means it's time to get at it if you really intend to be a 5G Christian. We're made to be growing. We're also made to be grateful. And this just seems to me as common sense. When so much has been given to us and sacrificed for us, Christians ought to be grateful. Amen? Think about all the things God has done for us. We ought to be grateful. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15 is just such an amazing passage but just like excerpting out of it, we have, Paul says, we have this treasure. He's talking about the gospel, the treasure of the gospel. He's talking, the treasure is that Jesus Christ took on human flesh and became like us and, and, and walked among us. The treasure is that Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. The treasure is that Jesus Christ on the third day was resurrected to new life, defeating sin in the grave. The treasure is that Jesus Christ sent us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost as a deposit, as a guarantee of his return and of spending eternity with him. That's the treasure that Paul is talking about. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He was talking about our bodies being a tent. Now he's talking about them being a jar of clay. In other words, they're very weak. They're very fragile. They break easily, these human bodies. 
We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Anything good in our lives comes from him so that as grace extends to more and more people, more and more people hearing the word, more and more people receiving the gospel, more and more people being saved, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, the more we see of God working in our lives and in this church and in this world, It compels us to be grateful people because we know our place before God. We know what we've received from him. We're never going to let the difficult circumstances of life keep us back from being increasingly grateful to God and looking for ways, listen, looking for ways to express that gratitude in tangible ways. We're made to be grateful. And then ultimately this, We're made to be gracious, generous, growing, grateful, and we're made to be glorifying. The catechisms make it clear that the chief end of a man or a woman, the chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. People struggle all the time with this. I don't know what my purpose in life is. I don't know why we're here. Glorify God. Every single person is here on earth to bring glory to God, to to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Everything else is just details. But is my life positioned to glorify my God? Am I pleasing to him? Are we making much of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. One degree of glory to another, increasing glory being displayed in my life. Righteousness and holiness displaying his glory, my confidence, my faith, my trust in him displaying his glory. Quick to speak his name, quick to give him praise, quick to sing out and to worship him. Your life and mine, one singular continuous act of worship of the Father, of his Son, Jesus Christ. And all of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is your chief end and mine. Made to be glorifying. Now listen, that's the 5G Christian. And on your way out, we're going to give you what we gave you two years ago if you were here. And maybe some of you still have this in a strategic place. It'll remind you of what it means to be a 5G Christian. What we are as opposed to what we do. Maybe you just take this again and maybe you shoot a picture of it and and make it the home screen on your phone. Or maybe you'll put it in your car or in your bathroom on the mirror or on your refrigerator in the kitchen. Or tuck it in your journal and, and see it there as part of your regular praying and studying of God's word. Maybe in the front of your Bible. But just have that as a reminder. You'll get that on the way out. And I'm going to invite the team. They're already coming. And we're going to sing a song of gratitude to God as we close off our time uh, here today, and I'd actually just invite you to pray with me right now as we prepare to worship him and, and then to head out. Father, um, we've already said it. We are to be grateful people. And there's much, much to be grateful for, Lord. 
on this second anniversary of a campaign where it's been obvious that you've been leading us every step of the way, we would pause to thank you for this building and for this property. What you have done here, God, what you have done. God, we'd also thank you for all the hundreds and hundreds of people that have come through here. I would thank you for those who have already made commitments to Christ in this building since last August. I thank you for everyone that's been baptized, for the hundreds of kids that have come here from our community, for High Five and for Awana. Father, for the young adults that gather here on Thursdays and the teens that come here on Tuesday nights, Father, we're grateful that we have a place from which we can tell this city that Jesus Christ is alive, that our God is awesome. And so God, we, co- we commit the next 13 months to you. And God, you've already surprised us in so many ways. There's been a thousand little miracles that you've done along the way in people's hearts. God, we would ask you that at December 2019, God, you would awe us again, shock us, surprise us, do something amazing in our hearts, something amazing that you'd get the, the glory for. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all you're doing and will do. Hear us now as we worship, as we express our gratitude to you in Jesus' name.